Welcome back to Lit Up With Low. I hope you're having a great week. I'm getting a lot of awesome feedback on last week's episode. So many of you loved my conversation with Alicia Pope, aka Purely Pope. I loved it as well. I am reporting from Florida where I'm spending time with some family and just relaxing and enjoying the sunshine quick life update. I actually got my wedding dress on Saturday. You may have seen on Instagram. I am so excited. I can't wait for you to see it and we'll keep you updated as we plan the wedding. I'm really excited to plan now. It's a quick intro this week because I want to get back to spending time with my family, but I wanted to make sure I got this episode out and I head back to Scottsdale tomorrow. So next week we'll be back to my lengthy intros that I love. As a reminder, please make sure you rate and review the show. I always get so many DMs about episodes you love, but the way to make the show grow is really to rate and review on iTunes. That would mean so much to me. Please, it takes 30 seconds, and I love reading them, and I'm so thankful for all of your support. Now for today's guest. We really hit it off. I never know how these are going to go because I don't know a lot of my guests beforehand, but Kaylee and I totally hit it off. She is a certified holistic health practitioner. She also went to IIN, just like myself. She has spent the last 10 years traveling and living in places like India and Indonesia, studying under practitioners in the fields of yoga, meditation, Eastern medicine, and alternative therapies. While she was there, she discovered that healing herself from with a nutrient-dense plant-based diet could help other people as well. She was actually a consultant um, for Deloitte, which is super fascinating to me because I was a consultant for PwC and I'm a corporate lawyer. So to see someone go from this like very corporate career path and then really dive into this holistic lifestyle and start her own business in a, in a field that is so holistic is very interesting to me. And we learn all about that. In this episode, you'll learn about her mission to disrupt the ice cream market with something that is actually nutrient dense and good for you. So there are so many low fat and low sugar ice creams these days, but they still have bad ingredients and they're not doing anything for you. She wanted to create a functional ice cream. The gelato that she makes is called Sacred Serve is made with certified organic young Thai coconut meat, which we get into. She learned all about it when she was in Bali. Potent superfoods, adaptogens, medicinal mushrooms, and low glycemic coconut sugar. It also has adaptogens, which is very cool. And it comes with a few different flavors, um, tiger nut cookies and cream, coconut salted caramel, chocolate chocolate, matcha mint chip, and saffron chai spice. You'll learn all about Kaylee's journey from a consultant to a holistic health coach to now starting this brand. She lives in Chicago where she makes her ice cream and it was so interesting to learn about how she even learned how to make this. It's also the first 100% sustainable ice cream packaging, which I didn't even realize you can't recycle ice cream packaging. So it's 100% plastic free, it's recyclable, compostable, and biodegradable. It took eight years to develop this. I can't wait for you to listen to this. You're going to be craving Sacred Serve after this. So make sure you head to sacredserve.com. It's also on Instagram at sacredserve and use the code low15 for 15% off your order. I am dying to try the cookies and cream. All right, let's get into the episode. I am so excited for you to hear it and for you to meet Kaylee Donawald. Here she is. I um, am the founder of Sacred Serve, and that really all came about because growing 
growing up, I suffered really severe cases of both asthma and allergies. And it wasn't until I was 25 years old that I did kind of a two week raw food vegan cleanse out in Bali, Indonesia. And within that two week time frame, my body completely healed itself of everything that I was suffering from my whole life. And it was so profound because Every doctor told me this is just how I was born and I would need medicine for the rest of my life. And so to understand that I could have such complete healing in such a short amount of time without any medicine was so crazy to me that I really wanted to have an impact on the landscape of food that we're consuming these days and really clean up essentially the most dairy sugar laden category that there is. (laughs) Yeah, no, completely. How did you end up at this cleanse? I can't imagine you just, it was an easy choice to do that. Right. It's a good question. I guess it was a lot of different decisions that led up to that. But I think the first real impetus for that was I was um, working in consulting at the time in Chicago and my room had reached out to me and said, you know, I'm quitting my job. I'm doing an around the world trip as some people do. And she was like, I know you're really into yoga. I'm actually going to stop over in India and do a yoga teacher training and thought if you wanted to join me, that would be really cool. And, you know, we're talking about two months away from work. I was only a couple years into an early career, but I just kind of felt like a download in that moment of there's no way I'm not going to say yes to this opportunity. And so that lent itself to taking a couple sabbaticals actually from work and um, really introduced me to the whole mind-body connection, Eastern philosophy and alternative medicine and therapies abroad. And so on the back end of one of my trips, I, I went down to Bali because there's such a big wellness scene there as well and booked a stay at a little health resort um, and just signed up for everything that they were preaching about. And one of those things was a juice fast. And so, yeah, I really embarked on that. And that was my first real forelay into understanding what nutrition could really do for, for the mind and body. That's wow. That's so powerful. Were you interested in health and nutrition when you worked in consulting? Cause I also used to be a consultant. <laughs> And it's like so different than my life is now. (laughs) You're right. It was very like high stress, full on. And no, I wasn't into nutrition. I really didn't understand any of the impacts that it could have on my life. And so, you know, being in consulting, I'm traveling all the time, eating on the road, eating at nice restaurants, having Mm -hmm. meetings. So none of that really lent itself to a healthy uh, diet. So yeah, I would say that I was really stressed out and anxious during that time. And definitely a big part of that was because of the food I was eating. (laughs) Oh, 100%. And just, yeah, always being on a plane and you're always in a new hotel. it's, It's a lot. Were you in management consulting? No, I was actually um, in a small practice. It was a real estate consulting. So we did a lot of valuations of different properties, um, both in Chicago and beyond. So that was actually my, my concentration leaving school. I have a business degree, but really thought for a while that I would go into real estate development and different things. But um, again, kind of just having this health transformation, I really went in a totally different direction, which, you know, at the time felt scary because I was building this you know, and quote unquote, nice career that, that we are kind of framed to think of and to, to branch out and do yoga and nutrition counseling. And and some of the other things that I was getting involved in felt like, you know, a risk for sure, based on Mm -hmm. just what society. (laughs) 
No, hundred percent. And when you went to India initially, did you quit your job or you just took a long vacation? I didn't. Yeah. It was actually very, very fortunate to be able to negotiate, um, two months away as kind of a sabbatical where it was an unpaid time away, but you still kind of kept your health benefits and, and kept your job intact and all of that. So, um, yeah, I ended up doing that twice and felt very fortunate. And then, um, further down the line was even able to negotiate a part-time schedule with that job when I went back to school for nutrition. So very, very fortunate that I kind of launched my career with, with such a good company. I had obviously worked very hard to get myself into a position where I could negotiate those things. But um, yeah, forever grateful for that flexibility. That's amazing to hear. Um, because I think so many times, if we find something else we're passionate about, we think, okay, we just we have to leave it all quit our job. But there, it's nice to hear that you can have sort of a balance. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really helpful for when I was first getting started. And um, yeah, you know, just the financial stability of being able to kind mm -hmm. of dabble in something new before you really take the full leap. Um, definitely, I'm sure my parents were grateful for that. But there was a time that I just plunged full on into entrepreneurship. And um, yeah, the, the finance financial piece <laughs> definitely went away. <laughs> yeah, I know. I find that so fascinating. I mean, how when you were doing both, how did you like live these two, two different lives. Cause I, I actually feel that way sometimes where I'm actually a lawyer, but I also am a health coach. I'm have this podcast. I'm su super into health and wellness. And sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm living two different lives. Totally. Yeah. You know, I think it was really interesting. It was tough to, um, kind of compartmentalize that in my brain, but I ended up doing three days on with consulting and two days. So I dedicated it on a daily basis um, to kind of give myself that space. But it was interesting, the longer I did that, the more I started to really recognize how authentic I felt in the wellness space and how I did not feel that way on the consulting side. And I think some of my anxiety I actually realized was kind of around that, like at, at the consulting job, because it wasn't my true passion and interest, I, I wasn't really investing in reading the publications and the, staying up to date on the news. And because of that, I would show up to meetings and feel anxious, like mm -hmm. I'm someone's going to call me out and I don't know everything I should know. And then I transition over to the wellness side and it's, you know, I'm researching it for fun and I'm just living the lifestyle. And so talking about it is so authentic and I always feel kind of in my power there. And that was such a, a mental shift to kind of realize like, wow, it'd be better if I was playing in more of my sweet space here on the wellness side. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, that's huge. Yeah. And how did you, kind of say goodbye to that like a real estate dream because I feel like we go I'm 28 so yeah. I've gone 28 years thinking I'm doing one thing and then to like say goodbye to that side of yourself it's like almost it's like a death you know yeah it is it's really interesting and I think beyond just having that dream dream myself of what I thought that that career could turn into. There was a ton of social conditioning that I had to shed just around mm -hmm. ego and being attached to the status of that job and what that communicates to other people. Like I literally remember sitting in India the first time I went out to dinner with one of my friends there and just was talking about how like I wanted to come home and just be a yoga teacher and quit the corporate world. But my main concern was that people 
like wouldn't take me seriously or they wouldn't know how smart I was if I was just mm-hmm. a yoga teacher. Like, what is that thought process is so scary to look back on. Um, and I'm so glad that I've transitioned away from that. But I think that that was another really hard piece, just thinking like, you know, I went to school for this. I studied super hard. I got great grades and I finally landed this really good job. How am I possibly going to just walk away from these opportunities here? And certainly, you know, friends and family are skeptical as well, which doesn't really help that either. But I think I ended up landing on just, you know, I'm going to take this entrepreneurial direction and see as much how much I can learn and really grow here. But just knowing actually that I still have real estate in the back of my mind as like a later life career. So depending on how successful we are with the business, I've always wanted to just invest in real estate, flip real estate. Um, So I do still think about that down the line for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you can still like something and not want to work in it anymore. I I feel like I always hear people say like, oh, but you used to love this. What happened? You've changed so much. Like, how could you just not love it anymore? And like, I still like it, but like, I'm allowed to learn about other things and realize other passions. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Totally relate. So you go to India and you do your yoga training. I'm actually, it's funny. We have so much in common. I'm also doing my 200 hour right now. Amazing. How was it in India? That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was fascinating. I think, you know, uh, there was a big cultural piece that I really picked up on and really enjoyed learning and studying um, all of the origins of that. And I think when I took the course, it was on an ashram in Rishikesh. And so really, it was very immersive, right? So I know that you can take courses here that aren't full on, but it was kind of a 30 day program. So it was very cool. You know, we were waking up at 4am and meditating. So it was cold out and you're on the river and you're outside. So very cool experience of just being fully immersed in the yoga, but also just such a unique and different culture that really kind of shook me in all of these different ways to have kind of a new perspective and awareness around just how I'm living my own life, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it takes leaving corporate America, like leaving the country of corporate America (laughs) to see that like, we're just, we're in our own bubble over here, but like most of their places aren't like this. Exactly. I mean, it really made me think like, here I am this stressed out 20 something year old, uh, not always feeling that happy or healthy most of the time. And then to go abroad and see people living with so much less, but are so much happier and oftentimes healthier too, uh, was super eye opening. And it really made me question like, what decisions did I make leading up to this point and what decisions did I just fall into? And was mm-hmm. there kind of this predetermined path that I was following even subconsciously, you know, going to school, majoring in this, getting this job, buying a condo, you know, just all the things. Um, I started to question like, is there a, a much different way that I could kind of design this life and still and, and maximize more happiness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's what a spiritual awakening is. I feel like people think spiritual awakening means you have to have this like powerful, like message from the universe. But honestly, it's just realizing like how much of this is actually what I've wanted and what I want and how much of it has just been like told to me, you right. know? Right. Totally. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so were you doing a lot of yoga before you did the 200 hour? 
Yeah, I was. Um, so it was actually something that I originally got into because I went through a really bad breakup and I found that I was pretty anxious and always just kind of checking my phone and things. And yoga became this mental health outlet of just, I'm going to go to this class for one hour. I'm going to move my body. It's an hour that I know that I can't check my phone. So I'm just totally free. And so I started using it more as a meditation than anything else. And so the further along I got with that, the more I really realized and started the benefits, I guess, of um, both meditation, but really just yoga in general. And so, yeah, that was really my first kind of inkling that maybe this could play a larger role in my life. Um, but, but then it was really my friend talking about that trip where I, I went full on. I really hadn't studied it from that perspective before that. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine coming back after being <laughs> It was tough for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then was the juice cleanse the first time you took the trip or was it the next time? Yeah, so that was the second time. So the second time I went back to India, did a very similar thing, studied with my same teacher and then went down to Bali, Indonesia on the back end of that trip um, because I had also known that there was a big yoga wellness scene there with a lot of travelers. And so that was where I kind of booked myself on this little health resort and um, followed their protocols. But it was great because there was just so much um, alternative therapies available there for such cheap pricing, you know, you're leveraging the dollar over there. So everything from massage to colonics to healthy raw vegan cuisine to yoga, um, meditation, all sorts of things um, was just really accessible. And so that's really what I enjoyed kind of studying while I was there. Wow, that sounds so amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And then and so at what point did you like move over to this three times a week and then you're doing, you're doing nutrition school at the same time. Yeah. So when I was um, in Bali, when I did that two week raw food cleanse and really healed myself of both asthma and allergies, that was when I got pretty fired up about the medical system and the food system, just really looking at the fact that no doctor has ever asked me about my diet and instead told me I was born with these conditions, pumping with medication, told me I would need them for the rest of my life. Come to find out, you know, all I had to do was change my diet. So it was pretty gross to realize that it was actually the food I had been eating my whole life that was making me and keeping me so sick and that no one was questioning that as part of the equation. Um, So yeah, I felt like I have to share with more people that our bodies have this innate ability to heal themselves. We just have to nourish them with the right things. And how could I do that? And so the first thing I did was that was just a quick um, couple week trip in Bali. So I had I came home, I had heard about actually this nutrition school, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, as I was traveling, which felt like a very synchronistic, like, of course, in in the health program that I was doing in Bali, there was a handful of other women from all over the world, um, Australia, parts of Europe, and they had mentioned this course. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I went to Thailand after this and met two other girls who had also gone through this course course. And I was like, well, this is knocking me on the side of the head, something to pay attention to. So um, I, you know, I researched that the second I got back. And that's when I went part time and started doing that nutrition program. Um, And I spent about a year really building up a health coaching practice with the goal of moving back to Bali. Because when I was there, I saw a lot of digital nomads, which is just essentially people building businesses online. 
uh, leveraging the U.S. dollar abroad. And I just thought, you know, this is so cool. And could I somehow move back to Bali in this financially sustainable way and continue to immerse myself in this world of wellness? So that's what I did. I went back to school for nutrition, built up enough clients. Somewhere in there, I started working at a juice bar. I had fully left the corporate world. So again, shedding the ego of just working Mm. hourly (laughs) for an hourly wage while I build all these plans. Um, But then I was able to move abroad and live the dream for a little while. (laughs) That is so cool. You are maybe the third guest I've had on that actually moved to Bali and did exactly what you said where they could get like literally, I think uh, like this huge home and like pool for like nothing. Yep, exactly. It is so crazy. And and this was about seven or so years ago. Um, I know it has changed so much, but that is, you know, you talk about real estate. I'm like, well, I want to buy a place in Bali and Airbnb it and live there half the year and whatnot. Um, but yeah, very cool experience. That's amazing. Wow. And so what were you working with your clients on in health coaching? Yeah, it was a lot of um, transitioning to a whole foods plant-based diet. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the transitioning away from the standard American diet. And then it was very specialized per individual. But a lot of the work was also around how do we wean ourselves off of certain medications that people Mm -hmm. have been on for many, many years. And of course, of course, working with practitioners and their doctors at the same time. But, um, you know, it's surprising that removing some of the most common triggers just without even knowing anything about people can have so many like very profound impacts um, on their wellness. So yeah, it was very, very potent work and it really got to the root as I'm sure you know. Um, But I just, you know, there was a certain point where I was doing that and felt like, again, I had this screaming voice inside that I was so disillusioned by the food system and the medical system that I was like, I'm not telling enough people. I can have 10, 20 clients, but that's 20 people. Maybe they tell their friends, but it's not enough. And so I kind of felt like, can I create a product that can go a lot farther and wider than I ever could and carry this similar mission and essentially build a big platform through that to then then share the education that we want to share. And on the note of your product, was ice cream one of your triggers? <laughs> yeah. So when I kind of went through all of this discovery, I realized that for me, dairy was a big sensitivity mm. and, and one of the leading causes that was um, creating asthma and allergies for me. So when looking at that and the landscape of food being offered to consumers, I really wanted to target just the most dairy sugar laden category that there is, which is ice cream. And really about five years ago, there was such a lack of innovation. I I was seeing mostly just a shift to non-dairy, which was at the time really big, uh, but still refined sugars, refined oils, processed ingredients, stabilizers, gums, weird stuff, which is still fully in the category today. So I felt like, you know, can I prove out a very nutrient dense functional product in this traditionally really lazy category. Um, And then that would be a great starting point to kind of signal to the market that like, look, this is possible. You can get nutrients in frozen indulgences. Um, What other categories can we do this to? Mm -hmm. No, I think it's so true. So many, the majority of people think that because something's like low fat or because it has no sugar or because it's has no dairy that it's like, Oh, it's healthy. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll just look at that healthy ice cream. And then I'll eat a, I'll eat a pint of it and it's, it's all good. 
No, <laughs> look at the ingredient list. Right. It is the most scary thing. And yeah, we, I definitely worked with clients on reading labels and understanding mm-hmm. whole food, nutrition and, and all of that. And I think you're right. It's, it's very, um, it's disturbing to see what, what companies will do from a marketing perspective and that people trust and follow this. And like, you're, you know, it's all very well-intentioned people. No one's buying this product because, you know, for they're buying it because they think it's healthy because that's what the marketing is telling them. So it's so sad to me that people with these good intentions are buying these products, mm-hmm. thinking they're doing right. Meanwhile, they're creating all of this inflammation and problems in their body that they probably will no longer be able to figure out where that even came from. So mm-hmm. no, yeah. I know. And I, I understand that like screaming voice. I was, that's yeah. one reason I started my podcast. Cause I was like, yeah. I need more people to know about this. <laughs> exactly. I can't yeah, carry exactly. this on my own. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> Uh, so how did you like come up with your first recipe? I don't even know how to make ice cream. Totally. Yeah. It's a great question because I don't have a food background and I wasn't this ice cream connoisseur. People often ask like, well, did you learn? I I studied abroad in Italy. They're like, well, is that where you came up with gelato? Uh, I'm like, definitely not. So, um, really the, the thing was when I was in Bali, I saw this ingredient that a lot of chefs were working with called young coconut meat, which is really just from the green coconuts that give you coconut water. Um, a lot of people will know, like if you crack the tops open, you know, if you ever travel to a beach somewhere, like they'll, they'll stick a straw in and you can just drink the water straight from the coconut. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll often give you like a spoon as well, because you can scrape the inside of those shells. And what you get is this kind of coconut pulp. And it's really this fibrous ingredient that's packed with all five essential electrolytes, vitamins and minerals and healthy MCTs. Um, and so in Bali, the, you know, the raw vegan cuisine there was really up and coming. And so people were working with this young coconut meat, like spiralizing it into noodles and doing all of these really cool things. And it was really being used as a meat and dairy substitute. And I was like, no one is talking about this at home, obviously. And so uh, one of my friends is a raw food chef who had also lived in Bali for quite some time. And so we got together and just were talking about the types of recipes that we could come up with. And can we use this young coconut meat as the base? And so that's kind of where we got started was that and layering in different superfoods and adaptogens and then using uh, low glycemic coconut sugar to really uh, refine that down. It took a, took a couple of years to get that recipe, those recipes down. <laughs> wow. And so you just learned how to make ice cream like from YouTube? Uh, or? No, it really started with, he had a little bit of knowledge coming into it. And then it was, yep, it was Googling everything. It was trying to source. I originally was sourcing a soft serve machine thinking, great, I'll just create this like liquid batter. And then maybe my business model will be putting these soft serve machines in different restaurants and supplying them with this batter that they can kind of run through. Um, but turns out our, our batter did not at all work in that machine. I think the, the dairy proteins and fats are quite different than what you find in coconut. So it just kind of froze up on us, which is when I transitioned into thinking, well, maybe we'll do ice cream pints and come out with like a hard pack ice cream. Um, And that worked a lot better, but it was definitely, it's been trial and error. We have not, you know, elicited any type of food scientist or anything like that. So it is really just working with our whole food ingredients in unique ways and figuring out the processing over the course of a couple of years um, to get it to where it is today. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. <laughs> and are, were you doing all this testing just like in your kitchen at first? Yeah, it started in my kitchen and then I moved 
to a uh, what's called the commissary kitchen, which was actually just a health food store here in Chicago, had a back kitchen and that was already certified. Um, and so I said, can I share some of this kitchen space and like actually legally be making this product for resale? <laughs> and she said, sure. Um, and then quickly after that, um, I moved and shared kitchen space with a kombucha maker in a larger facility down in Chicago. Um, and within that building, so within about six months out of that kombucha maker's kitchen, I was doing markets and things. I could tell that consumers really liked this product. I think we really had something. So I chatted with the building owner and another six months from there, we had our own space built out. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And so you started in farmer's markets? Yep. Started with farmer's markets and different vegan events around the city. Um, actually, it was really, yeah, more more of those vegan type events, which actually was nice that they had those available to us. I did over 200 consumer-facing events myself in the early years to get all of that valuable feedback. Um, but it was a total grind. It, you know, it was weekend, you know, events around weekends. So it was working Monday through Friday and then every weekend packing it up and one thing I totally underestimated was the physical nature of coming up with a product, let alone a food product. It's just everything is heavy. Everything takes time <laughs> to set up the, the breakdown and all the coolers and the ice. And so it was totally a grind in those early days. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sure. <laughs> and where are you? So are you sourcing the, the coconut meat and all the other ingredients at this time? Like, where are you getting it from? Right. We work with a handful of different farms. Um, we source our coconut meat from Thailand. We have found them oh, to wow. have the best variety. It's got the sweetest taste. Um, there's a couple other places we could source it, but right now we've got a couple suppliers out of Thailand. Um, our cacao comes from the Dominican and our maca is coming from Peru. So yeah, you know, all the ingredients are different, um, but we do try and stay as close to the farmers as we possibly can at this stage. And the larger we grow, the better our supply supplier relationships will get. Oh, totally. And how, so just for like any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, they're probably like, okay, well, how am I going to get a product from Thailand right now? Like, how did you even get to that stage? Yeah, you know, the coconut meat was the toughest thing to find. So I, it really, it was a lot of Googling. And I don't know if that's what I would recommend these days, but I think it was just constantly searching and searching and trying to get references and recommendations from other, you know, there's superfood companies now that, that deal with a lot of different superfoods that you can usually find pretty easily, the middlemen kind of people. Um, but yeah, it was years. And I don't even know. I don't even know. I think our main supplier now actually found us because that's also kind of their job to identify yeah. who's working with these ingredients in the market. And so they reached out cold. Um, but yeah, it was very crazy and also pretty scary to only have one supplier per ingredient. Of course, if something happens to them, your business goes down. So yeah, we're always on the lookout, always researching. Um, but yeah, very early stage. I think it was just some Googling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, what was your first flavor? Uh, this is a good story. Our first flavor is salted with salted caramel, which was actually supposed to be our vanilla flavor because what ice cream company doesn't try and start with a vanilla? Right. Um, so it's our most basic ingredient. But uh, when we ran it, we were like, great, we've got vanilla bean in here, vanilla extract, this is going to be vanilla. And when it came out, it tasted more like caramel because we're working with um, coconut sugar, which kind of has like a slightly darker flavoring kind of like uh, brown sugar, if you will. 
And so when that came out kind of tasting like caramel, we realized like, shoot, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get a vanilla flavor, but we might as well just add some extra salt and call this salted caramel because that was a really popular trending flavor at the time. Um, and to this day, it's our number one selling flavor. So I'm glad we went in that direction, but that's uh, definitely how it started. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Is that your favorite flavor too? Yeah, you know, it's that or it's the uh, mint. I would say our mint mm. has peppermint essential oil in there, which is antimicrobial and, and just really great for digestion. And I, I am someone that has a pretty restrictive diet these days and can just get bloated and my stomach can react in different ways. And so I have found that that peppermint oil um, really smooths things out for me and makes me feel great. And it feels functional in my mind. So that is the one flavor that I, I will definitely bring home. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that concept because I feel like, you know, after we eat dinner, you want something sweet, but you're also like, what happens to me is that I'm like so overly full and like it didn't do anything to help me. But if you have something that's actually good for your digestion, like what a great combination. Right. And I think about that all the time. And, you know, obviously we've studied food combining and, and I think about that every time I reach for dessert. It's like, okay, well, I just had all of these different things and now I'm going to add a quickly fermenting sugar on top of all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I really have found that between, you know, activated charcoal and peppermint essential oil, those two things can be really, really helpful for my digestion post meals. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, and so then you're, so you're selling at these vegan markets. At what point were you like, okay, well, we need to get this on shelves. We need to get this online. Yeah, you know, I took an interesting approach. I um, had been part, one of my jobs while I was living in Bali that I could have could do remotely was actually sales for another CPG health food company mm. here in Chicago. So I was very familiar with the sell-in process of calling buyers and working with small health food stores. So I kind of took that approach. I, I went out on my own. I started selling into like 50 stores and little independent co-ops here in Chicago. Um, and I was running the, you know, I was making the product, running the deliveries, doing the sell-in, trying to grow, working on marketing, just totally lost my mind. Uh, realized like this is not sustainable at all. And I was also bootstrapping the business. So I didn't have cash to hire someone to even help. Um, so anyways, needless to say, I kind of hit this huge bottleneck where I was like, this isn't the way I should be doing it. So I pulled out of all of those stores and re, uh, refocused, I guess, my limited resources towards one larger launch, which was Whole Foods. So we got uh, accepted into Whole Foods in the summer of 2019. And so that's when I really pulled together all of my money and, and focused on getting, you know, a good story going of just being successful in a major retailer that people all know. Um, so yeah, that was really, I would say, cause I kind of did a big rebranding right before that too. So really looking at it, I, I usually say that's really when we launched into market was that first Whole Foods launch. Yeah. And how did you get into Whole Foods? Yeah, I um, had joined an accelerator program here in Chicago as well, like a business food accelerator. Um, but, you know, actually, it was funny. I forgot about this story, but my friend had a beverage company and he was kind of plugged in with the Whole Foods buyers. And, you know, everyone, you're just emailing them. They're never responding. It's just the nature of the game. They're just imagine how many people are emailing these buyers. <laughs> So it, like, I don't even blame them, but it was just very difficult to get any type of FaceTime. But my friend had an already set up meeting because he was an existing supplier. And he was like, you know what, I'm going to bring you into my meeting and just introduce your product because I already have FaceTime with the buyer. I already know him. I don't need all the time. 
So he brought me in, we had that meeting, I got, you know, my foot in the door. And then um, the follow up was great, because I was in this accelerator program, and they had some of the local foragers from Whole Foods come into our class. And I was able to reconnect with them and say, remember me, I had a meeting, here's our product, all the stuff. Um, and then yeah, we got accepted shortly thereafter. So very fortunate stream of events for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. And then was the rebranding when you have now the recyclable packaging or was that, did that come later? Uh, so this was later. So the rebrand, we, um, we've kept the same shape carton that we use now, which is pretty unique, but I had a different design on it, which was a lot more organic brown kind of craft paper looking. That's what I first mm -hmm. came to market with. Um, and really just realized it wasn't communicating properly on the shelf. So, um, I had picked up an advisor through this accelerator program who had a connection with a partner at this big design agency out of Boulder. And so we worked together to kind of revamp the design elements of this box before launching into Whole Foods, because genuinely, I don't know how we would have done in Whole Foods with our old design. Um, so yeah, so we kind of upgraded that right before the launch. And a new sustainable piece of it just happened um, last month. So that was very recent. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Congrats. That's, and how did that come about? Yeah. So when I first started the company was when I first even realized that no ice cream pints are recyclable. And I think that that is such a common issue that we have with consumers that no one really stops to think about the fact that even though ice cream pints look like they're just paper, they're always coated with an inner layer of plastic in order to kind of prevent them from leaking. It's like a moisture barrier. And so while plastic is recyclable and paperboard is recyclable, when they're together, there's not the machinery to really break them apart. So it is trash. Um, and so this was disturbing because I was, you know, here to change the landscape of food and treat mother nature right and do it from a nutritional standpoint. But I just realized like, well, how could I ever come to market with trash packaging? Um, so at that early stage, I was doing a ton of research and it was really difficult for me to find uh, an upgraded eco-friendly option. Like it really didn't exist. And at the time, I had found some middle grade, maybe just like less plastic, more plant-based lining, but still plastic, but it was better. And I asked our supplier at the time, can I import this paperboard and have you manufacture our cartons using this paperboard that I want? And they said, no, you know, we're unwilling to do something like that. Your volumes are just really small. We're not going to change anything about our process for you. And I was like, okay, you know, I understand that super bummer. Um, but that's kind of why I decided to come to market with this takeout style box. So it, the, our original version of packaging was on post-consumer recycled paperboard. And then this shape that we have reduces the amount of material needed because it reduces an extra lid. It's kind of got a fold top. So I was like, this is the best I can do at this time. So I'll come to market, I'll get our volumes up, and then I can maybe have a chance at negotiating something down the line. But um, fast forward three years, that's how long it's taken. Um, we, that, that, that supplier of this carton ended up discontinuing the shape, which I thought, no problem, I'll just go to China and have someone reproduce this box. Turns out that's not possible. It's very, very customized. So we were in a very tight pinch just thinking like, okay, well, now we don't have packaging and we're selling and what's going to happen when we run out of our inventory. 
Um, and truly by some synchronistic miracle, uh, we were connected with this new supplier here in the US who had a um, partner in the UK that manufactures this exact box shape. And on top of that, they had been working with this company who developed the first 100% plastic free lining for this paperboard. And so they were like, yeah, not only can we get you this box, but we can get you it on the upgraded sustainable paperboard. We're going to do it at your volumes. We're going to, you know, do it for a good price. And so we finally made that all come together just last month after so much searching. Oh my God. <laughs> that's so, that's yeah. exhausting. Well, I hope that listeners, every time they pick up your ice cream, they're thinking about that. It's not, you know, it wasn't easy to get there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is so tough. And, you know, it's so shocking to see that this technology didn't exist before. But what I really learned was it took this company eight years to even develop it. And then hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, required to get all the testing and certifications done, which that's a big thing that's missing from the market right now. There's a lot of what's called greenwashing and wish cycling, um, just larger companies Mm -hmm. kind of touting that they might have a recyclable pint when in reality, the only way to recycle that is to drive it to the industrial facility that it came from and no consumer is ever going to do that. So it's really more damaging than it is helpful because now you're telling consumers that they can recycle it. So they're putting it in their recycling bin and, you know, rendering mm-hmm. that entire bag trash. So yeah, it's, it's a definitely, it's an uphill battle. Um, but it's the time and the cost that I understand like why larger companies aren't moving on this faster. Yeah, I mean, and it's also just good to know as a consumer to read between the lines, like yeah. that this might actually not be recyclable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So what are you working on now? Like what's next? You're in Whole Foods, you're in Erewhon, I think. We are in Erewhon, yes. So we are working on growing distribution. Uh, we've got a couple flavors in the pipeline. We just launched our newest one, which is uh, Tiger Nut Cookies and Cream. Mm-hmm. So Cookies and Cream was my favorite growing up, so I'm really excited that we could launch that. Um, we've got a couple pop-ups happening this summer. So yeah, you know, we're, we're raising money, we're growing our team, we're growing our stores, and hope to have a bunch of new products in the pipeline coming soon. That's so awesome. Are, are you still doing all the recipe development? Yeah, um, it's myself. We also manufacture ourselves right now, which is pretty unique, I would say, for an early stage brand. Um, We learned or I learned pretty quickly that the way we manufacture ice cream is quite different than how ice cream is made traditionally, which back to our early point, you know, I think the best innovations come from people that know nothing because there's no, there's no real framework that they're trying to stay within. And that's really what I've done with the ice cream here. So at one point I looked at maybe having a co-packer make this product for us. And that's when I realized like, oh, <laughs> they don't know how to do this at all. And mm-hmm. what we're doing is so different. So um, it's kind of cool from that perspective. But um, yeah, we're definitely, we're in charge of all the recipes and the manufacturing of that. And it's great to have it in-house because we keep improving it, you know, every single day. I can't imagine not uh, touching the product like we do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wanted to ask for the adaptogens, how do you decide, there's so many different adaptogens, how do you decide what's going to go and which one do they have a taste? Is there a specific, you know, functionality you're looking for? 
Yeah, it usually starts with functionality. It actually always starts with functionality and then taste is second. Um, so like for the chocolate flavor, um, I'm looking at how things play together. So the cacao aids in the absorption of the chaga mushroom. Mm. And then because we're already working with cacao, which has those bliss molecules, we thought like the maca with the hormone balancing and aphrodisiac kind of all plays nicely together there. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit, how is this going to work within the body? How are these ingredients playing? And then secondary from a taste perspective, although usually the adaptogens don't have too much of an overpowering taste. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not an exact science. I would say it's more playing around with different things, seeing how they taste, seeing how we feel after eating them. But definitely uh, nutrition is the first focus before flavor. Mm -hmm. And do you think you'll ever go into a different space or it's ice cream your focus for now? Yeah, it's like you know, people ask this all the time. I think I would, I, I'm definitely going to go into a new space, but I think I'm always going to sit in the freezer aisle because what mm. we have found is we're able to deliver this really raw nutrient dense product because it is frozen and it has a long shelf life. Or if we wanted to deliver the same level of nutrients on the shelf, we would maybe have three to five days, which makes it really, really tough to sell a product like that. So I think if we can kind of keep going in the frozen set and have it be preserved in that way, um, we could do some really, really cool things. So I think that there's a lot we can do with this young coconut meat. Um, that is such an untapped ingredient at this time. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and then how did you come up with the name? It was one of my favorite questions. Yeah, it was really kind of lending itself back to that time in Bali. So everything over there is very just sacred and spiritual and it's kind of got that whole vibe. And so because that was sort of the birthplace of this idea, um, you know, there was originally sacred scoops and thought thinking and thinking on that, but that's pretty pigeonholed into ice cream itself. So just thinking, you know, sacred serve is a little bit more broad. Um, and what we're really doing is, is serving people, I think, but that's a big piece of this brand that I don't often talk about. It's just, it was really started to help people. Um, I really want to share this level of education with more and more people and essentially empower them to take their health into their own hands. So serve kind of fit, fit that of just can mm -hmm. serve everyone with all of this. I love that. Do you think yeah. your real estate background will ever um, cater to a brick and mortar shop? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a great question. When I, when I launched the company, I was pretty hot on the uh, digital nomad lifestyle. So mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want a location. I don't want the overhead, all of these things. But then I simultaneously Simultaneously built a manufacturing facility that now keeps me 100% stuck here. So that being said, I don't know. It's a great question. I think it would be cool. And I can only imagine just the, the line of adaptogenic toppings and superfood toppings that we could have, which would be so unique. Um, but we haven't, haven't started any plans for that just yet. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, are you still health coaching and teaching yoga? I am not. And that is uh, something that I really miss. I, I not so much the teaching yoga, but the health coaching was some of the best work that I've ever done. And, and I totally overlooked the fact that, you know, I started this company because I was like, I want to connect with more people and share more of this information and the powerful healing that I had. Um, but building a business, you're just so in the weeds for like the first two, three years. I, I barely even, you know, unless we were doing an event, I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't have any outside interaction. I was barely even seeing my friends. So that, um, 
was a really interesting time period. And I would say that now I'm coming out of that. I would really like to get back into that and more than anything, maybe even have um, a team of coaches, you know, through sacred serve that people can kind of leverage and tap into. Um, So I don't know what that would look like, but I think health coaching is one of the most important jobs that there is out there. I think it's the future of healthcare without a question. So yeah, I would love for our brand to be able to invest more and more into health coaches for sure. I agree. I went to IIN also. Okay. Great. It's the best. Everyone went to IIN. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And the network is so strong. And I just, I felt like that course taught me about nutrition, but it also taught me about myself, which, you know, is the best starting point of just learning what works for me, how to structure my mm-hmm. life and all of this. Um, yeah, top down, I thought that, that that class was was amazing. I agree. Are you still raw vegan? I'm not. That was something that I really thrived on when I was in Bali. Um, but coming back to Chicago with the colder weather, I, I quickly realized like this isn't very sustainable and not a good thing. And of course, as we know, listening to our bodies is most important. So I kind of shifted away from that, but have truly found healing in, in remaining um, dairy free, gluten free, and for the most part, plant based. That's great. What kinds of meat do you eat when you eat meat? Yeah, if I do, so I'll eat eggs here and there, although I will say that's probably still a little sensitivity of mine. Um, but yeah, I'll eat fish. And then probably once a month, I will try and get some type of, you know, organic, well-sourced grass-fed meat if I do it, um, which, you know, the way I feel it does help. So I will do that once in a while, usually during the colder months, more than the warmer months, um, but certainly very strict on the sourcing for that. Yeah. Oh, that's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, a couple last questions. Do you have a morning routine? Great. I love this question. That's yes, my favorite I, question. I, um, it, it, I have had it for the last six years and have found that it has had a tremendous impact on my day. So it looks a little different now. I'm, I'm pretty busy with work, um, but I'm usually up by six. And so making tea and sitting and reading um, for about an hour, I usually make sure that I have at least an hour, hour and a half before I even need to consider sitting down at the computer every morning to just do whatever. And so sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's journaling. We just got a new puppy. So sometimes it's playing with the puppy in the morning. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't even put it past me to like watch an episode because sometimes it's just like, what am I doing to enjoy and relax and not have stress right now um, before getting into my day. I don't work out in the mornings, although I would love to say that I do. Um, It's really more relaxing, calming, stretching, and, and mostly just sitting with my tea is like the best time of the day. So I found early on that if I can get excited about that morning routine, it's a lot easier to wake up. So it's easy to spring out of bed at six if I know I have an hour and a half of just hanging out with my puppy. Uh, before I need to think about work, because I I do remember I used to peel myself out of bed with five minutes to spare going to that corporate job because I just didn't want to get out of bed. So uh, yeah, definitely am pretty strict about that at least hour of free time every morning. That's awesome. That's really huge. I've noticed such a difference too, where I'm working, I'm living on the West Coast, but I'm working an East Coast job. And we right now just went through daylight savings time. So now I'm three hours difference. And I actually, I'm so exhausted, even though I'm sleeping the right same amount of time, I'm so exhausted by like 2pm. And it's because I'm not, I don't have any time just to myself in the morning, like I'm getting out of bed and looking right at my phone. It makes such a difference. Yeah, totally. I know that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could talk about morning routines all day, but <laughs> um, okay. So my, my last question that I ask all of the guests are, is um, what is your gift? 
Oh, that's such a great question. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I really think it's, um, it's connecting with people. And so I'm actually an introvert. Some of my friends might laugh at that, but through business, um, you know, we've been able to really build this great advisory board, a great team of investors, great partners, um, and a lot of people that are just involved because of the idea and the way that we're going about it. And so um, through health coaching and through this business, I would say that bringing people together and getting them excited around an idea um, is a strength of mine for sure. Because to be very clear, we've never had any money. So everyone involved in this is essentially doing it for free. And so to really accumulate a, a great group of people that we have, I think really speaks to that ability, which is cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I'm so excited to try it. You've gotten me excited. You are good at this. I'm like, I'm going to go order some online right now. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was great to meet you. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Let Up With Glow. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review on iTunes. This is how the show grows. Make sure you check out Sacred Serve at sacredserve.com and use the code LOW15 for 15% off your order. I will talk to you next week. Have a great weekend.